The central message of Christmas is that we no longer have to be afraid of anything. The central message of Christmas is that we no longer have to be afraid of anything. When the angel Gabriel came to the Virgin Mary to tell her that she would be the one to bear the Christ child, he said, don't be afraid. When the angels came to the shepherds as they were keeping watch over their flocks at night, he said, don't be, they said, don't be afraid. When Jesus of Nazareth was born in that manger and the events that followed his life, death, and resurrection, he fulfilled more than 700 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. When Jesus Christ came and did what he did, then we were given the opportunity to be freed from our condemnation and to be fully restored to a perfect and holy God. Therefore, there is now nothing to fear. The central message of Christmas is that we no longer have to be afraid of anything. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to be reading verses 8 through 15. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And I'd like to ask you to please join me in standing for the reading of the Word of God this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Heavenly Father, we invite you to release the resident power of your Holy Spirit to bring this word to life for us to release us from our fear, and to draw us into the perfect liberty that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus, to die and rise again for. And so we invite your Holy Spirit now to come and to be the teacher as we give our attention to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Fear not. Fear not. I think to be afraid... And even terrified would be a normal response to an apparition, don't you? To see angels where you hadn't seen angels before. And for it to become evident to you by the testimony of those around you that you were neither dreaming it or imagining it, your, your normal response would be to be afraid. But in reality... The Bible says 110 times, fear not. 110 times. The Bible says to us, don't be afraid. 
And then maybe something's rolling around in your mind right now saying, but there's so much to be afraid of. There's so much going on right now that it's normal to be afraid. There's so much to be afraid of. And yet the Bible doesn't go silent, does it? It still says, fear not. Don't be afraid. And we live in a culture of fear. We live in a culture of fear. And yet the Bible doesn't go silent. It continues to say, fear not. I want to I share with you this morning three things about fear that I hope will help you to embrace the fullness of the Christmas season. And the first thing is that a reverential fear of the Lord is a good thing. Did you hear me, church? A reverential fear of God is a good thing. God is a holy God. He is the author of life. He is the king of the universe. And I don't know if you've noticed or not, but we are not. And so living in a healthy, reverential fear of the Lord is a good thing. Psalm 110, verse 11 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That it's a wise thing to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding that we don't have all the answers and fearing the Lord. That His ways are higher than our ways. That His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That that understanding of the relative positioning of God in us And the fear, the humility that comes from that is a good thing. Now this reverential fear of the Lord, in my mind I just see it in quotes and I call it worship fear. Worship fear. Because it's not a a cowering fear that produces cowardice, but it's just the opposite. It's a worship fear. It's a reverential awe It's a humble amazement that we're in the presence of God that doesn't cause us to be cowards, but in fact produces courage in us. And it begins with understanding that a fear of the Lord is a good thing. I'm concerned about the lack of the fear of the Lord in some of the American church. I'm concerned about where the church has gone and maybe going with respect to what I see, I guess, in media church. I don't see a lot of it, but I try to see enough of it to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening in our nation and the church. And I fear that, I, I'm concerned that the filling of stadiums with people where the message is about prosperity and where the individual is the center of the message, is the point of the message. And the worship is so superficial and so light that all of those people do not have the opportunity to come into the presence of the Lord and bow before Him. I'm concerned about that. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of everything. Hebrews 12.29 says that our God, catch this, our God is a consuming fire. 
It's a little different than the buddy Jesus. Our God is a consuming fire. The only thing that keeps us from being consumed by the fire is the cross of Jesus Christ. So it's a good thing to have a reverential fear of the living God. But second, beyond that, I want to say that almost all other fear is of Satan. Almost all other fear in our lives is of Satan. I think there's one fear that is not of Satan, and that's emergency fear. That the fight-or-flight instinct that God has placed inside of us is a normal response to an emergency. That's okay. But beyond that, I think we have to understand that almost all other fear is of Satan, and it's his plan to make us afraid. That, that beyond reverential fear, there is no fear that is of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God did not give us a spirit of fear. And so if you are living under a spirit of fear, you are not living under the plan of God. Because God did not give us a spirit of fear, church, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. So I think with the exception of an emergency, when we, are, when we choose fear, we are not choosing God. You know, if you think about the way the Bible reveals the nature of things, you can see that fear in the heart of man originated in the Garden of Eden. It's where it began. And when did it begin? It began after the fall of man. And who was the author of it then? Satan. So man was created in in an idyllic existence, in perfect union with God. But Satan came and tempted man, and man succumbed to the temptation and fell. And the human race fell. And the first response was when, when God came to the garden to be with man, to enjoy the fellowship of the one he had created for fellowship, what was man's response? Do you know? He hid. He hid. And when God questioned him, man, about this, he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I heard you coming and I was afraid. Satan stands to gain the most when we live in fear. Why? Because it pulls us away from God. We have to choose fear or God. We have to choose. When we choose fear, we're not choosing God. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. When we don't choose God, we automatically choose Satan. Terrorism is a fear-based tactic. You know this. Terrorism is a fear-based tactic. The purpose of isolated incidents of terrorism is to terrify you. That's the purpose. 
And guess what? It's working. The purpose of fear is to paralyze you. How many of you have at some point been frozen in fear? That's the purpose of fear. And so a fearful population is an easily controlled population. Did you hear that? A fearful population is an easily controlled slash manipulated population. And so to the extent that we buy into the fear, we present ourselves to these forces to be controlled and manipulated. Historically, our country has been the strongest when we have been the bravest. As a society, we are currently consumed by a fear of terrorism. What are we supposed to do about this? What measures can we take to protect ourselves from an isolated incident of terrorism? These things cross your mind, don't they? Of course they do. And that's Satan's, that is Satan's plan. It's not just to cross your mind, but to fill your mind with it. We're consumed by terrorism. And what happens is fear causes us to evaluate things poorly and make bad decisions. Fear causes us to make bad decisions. Let me share some statistics with you. In terms of being, becoming a victim, a victim of a terrorist attack in the United States, you have a 1 in 20 million chance of that happening. Did you hear me? A 1 in 20 million chance of becoming a victim of a terrorist attack in 2016. Now, by, co- by comparison, you have a 1 in 5 million chance of being struck by lightning. Okay. So it is four times more likely than you are going to be struck by lightning in 2016 than be a victim of a terrorist attack. Now, how many of you spend time lying on your bed at night, losing sleep, in fear that you may be struck by lightning? You do? It's the point that I I can totally relate. You know, when we expose this much of ourselves to the atmosphere, Rich, and when we're just so electric by nature, I mean, so magnetic. Did you know you have a 1 in 800,000 chance of drowning in your bathtub next year? it is 25 times more likely that you're going to drown in your bathtub than be a victim of a terrorist attack. Anybody planning any lifeguards in the bathroom or anything? I'm just going to sit here and watch you just in case something happens. I don't think so, right? You have a 1 in 19,000 chance of being involved in a car accident. It is a 1,000 times more likely, a 1,000 times more likely then you're going to be in a car accident than be a victim of a terrorist attack. What provisions are you taking? You wear your seatbelt, right? 
You drive as carefully as possible, and you forget about it, right? You take reasonable measures, but you don't let the fear of it overpower you. The purpose of fear is to paralyze you in a critical way. The current culture of fear is meant to distract you Christians... Because if you spend time dreaming up ways to protect yourselves rather than concentrating on the ministries to which you are called as a follower of Jesus Christ, then Satan has won. The third thing I want to tell you about fear this morning in the Fear Not message is that God has provided a remedy for a fear-based life. Have you noticed God always has a plan? God's remedy for a fear-based life can be contained in a single word, and the word is faith. Faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6, says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever comes to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So that's a choice to release our faith toward the truth of the Word of God, toward the truth of God Himself. Now, Hebrews 11 says that, and then it is followed by a list of examples, of 17 examples of people of great faith throughout the Scriptures. Sometimes it's called the Hall of Faith. And so the Bible says that faith is the answer to this. In John 14, verse 12, Jesus himself said, I tell you the truth, if anyone has faith, has faith in me, he'll do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, I think it's clear to us as we continue to read the scriptures that, the, that faith is the antithesis of fear. That these are choices that we make. We either choose fear or we choose faith. I want to give you an essential equation for you to to embrace here. And it's directly related to the quality of your experience with God. I think there are some here, and maybe many here, who are still hoping to have something they would call an encounter with God. You read the scriptures. you, You do everything you can to believe the scriptures. You... You try to walk the walk, all of these things are true, but you would maybe characterize yourself as a person who is still waiting to encounter God. I think if we had a personal conversation, you'd discover that you're encountering the Lord in more ways than you may realize. But you hear these stories of people who are encountering God in these amazing ways, and you're saying, when will it be my turn? It's okay to be that person. And uh, I just want to give you... uh, an equation to live by. And the equation starts by the word faith. It begins with faith. That um, as, we, as we consider the release of our faith, which is going to appear on the screen any second, the word faith, I have faith <laughs> that the word is going to unfreeze the computer and release it right now or later, as you wish, Lord, but that it's not going to happen? How interesting is that? Okay. 
11 o'clock. Didn't we do this last week, too? <laughs> Seemed to be working fine. All right. I'd like for you to imagine over to the left of the board here, in uh, the same font as you see up there, the word faith. And so the release of our faith is one of the things that is obviously an essential component in our experience with God. Yes? Jesus said, if you have faith in me, you'll do what I've been doing. If we don't have faith, then we will not experience God. The Bible says that unless we have faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to have encounter with God without faith. And so whatever this faith thing is, we need it. We need it. And we need it in order to experience God. Now the rest of this formula that you're going to imagine with your eyes up here is you're going to put minus fear. So faith minus fear equals the quality of your experience with God. So if, if there were a way to quantify faith and fear, I would say that as much fear as you permit in your life, that conditions your faith in such a way that it subtracts from your experience with God. So the more faith that you have, and the less fear that you have, the higher your experience, your encounters with God will be. The more fear that you permit and entertain and invite and consider, it will actually subtract from your faith in such a way that it will diminish what you would call encounters with God, experience with God. Does that make sense? So faith minus fear equals equals the quality of your experience with God. Does that make sense? I think the quality of your experience as a passenger on a commercial airline would, would illustrate this for you. That I would guess that maybe everybody has some anxiety about getting on an airplane, right? And, and you really don't fear flying. You, you fear what? Crashing, right, exactly. So, and you know that there, there exists uh, some statistical probability that this could be the plane, right? I mean, you know in your head, it hardly ever happens, right? But in your mind, you know it does happen. You may not know that you have a 1 in 11 million chance of dying in a plane crash in 2016. 1 in 11 million. So you are twice as likely to die in a plane crash as to be the victim of a terrorist attack. So that, that amps up your anxiety, right? Well, I'm already this anxious about terrorism. I should be this anxious then about flying, right? But you're not. There is some, yeah, I know, but you know what? But it still, it conditions your experience, doesn't it? So that when you're flying along, it goes, whoop, you go, that's it, it's it, Mother Jesus, I confess all of my sins. (laughs) Am I right? You're living on the edge. But in reality, you've already expressed faith. Some element of trust in this vehicle, and not just the, the aircraft, but the people who are controlling it on the ground and in the air. And so you've released a lot of faith. 
And the more faith that you release in it, and the less fear that you have about it, the better your experience on the aircraft will be. Is this making sense? Okay, so let's just apply this to the Lord. Let's apply this to the Lord. The more faith that you have, and the more fear that you reject, will increase what you would call the quality of your experience with God. Because fear conditions what we do. Did you know that in the months following the 9-11 attacks, <laughs> there, were, there was a substantial statistical increase in the number of people who were killed in car accidents? The reason was, is because we were afraid to fly. And so we said, I'm not getting on one of those airplanes. I'm going to drive to Peoria. And in reality, more people died in car accidents in the three months following 9-11 than died on 9-11 because of the terrorist attacks. Because fear conditions us to make bad decisions. And it's not God's plan for us. The primary purpose of fear is to paralyze you. The primary purpose of faith is to liberate you. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus was walking along with huge crowds around him. The Bible says that there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she said she had suffered at the hands of many physicians, said no one could help her. And she said, if I could just reach the hem of his garment, his talit, his prayer shawl, if I could just touch that. I would be healed. And so she sneaks in, works her way in, muscles her way in, whatever she had to do, and she grabbed hold of it. And when she did, she was healed. And Jesus stopped, and he said, Who touched me? Look to his disciples. Who touched me? You guys are supposed to be looking out for me. And they said, Lord, among so many, how, how could we know who touched you? And he looked at this woman, and he said, Woman, your, here's words. Your faith has healed you. Be freed from your suffering. Be freed. Fear paralyzes. Fear sets you free. Jesus was walking along and ten lepers came to him and asked for him to heal them. And he said, go show yourself to the priest, which was the custom in Jewish society for them to do so that they could be readmitted into society. And so it says, while they were on their way, in their obedience to what Jesus said, they were healed. And you may know that one of them came back to Jesus to thank him. And among the things that Jesus said to this one leper who came back to him was, your faith has healed you. He said, rise and go. Your faith has healed you. Fear paralyzes us. Faith sets us free. Now, speaking of lepers, by the way, I hope you will be encouraged in the knowledge that this Tuesday that uh, Queenie and some of the gang from uh, Cornerstone Ministries in India will be going to Bargur, uh, the leper colony that some of us have visited. And on this Tuesday, uh, some nearly 200 people who live in that leper colony will be blessed with food. They'll be blessed with blankets. 
They'll be blessed in the name of Jesus because of the people at the vineyard in Grove City, Ohio. And I hope that you take some real encouragement from that. That while you're going through your day on Tuesday, whatever Tuesday is like, whatever frustrates you or makes you happy, I hope that you'll just take a second to enjoy, enjoy the knowledge that there are people whose body parts are falling off, who are receiving care and love in the name of Jesus because of your generosity here. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So if the equation were on the board... We're going to so get this right, the second service, man. We are going to nail it. You might want to come back just for the slideshow. <laughs> if it did say faith minus fear equals the quality of your experience with God, there would be a question rolling around in your mind. Guess what it would be? Next slide. What do you think it would be? So, how do I get more faith? Of course. I'm so glad you asked. The thing about faith is you can't wish for it. I wish I had more faith. You can't demand it. Give me more faith! You can't siphon it off of others. I think there's benefit in hanging around people who know how to exercise their faith, but in reality, you can't get theirs. Hebrews chapter 11 or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which, of course, is the next chapter right after 11 that we referred to about faith. And so the next thing that the author of Hebrews says is therefore, verse 1, therefore, and when we're reading our Bibles and it says therefore, we stop to see what it's therefore, that as a result of this hall of fame of Hall of Faith people in Hebrews 11, that because of what you just learned about faith, he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's the people of chapter 11, since we are surrounded by all these people of faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And here's your key to getting more faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You want more faith? Then fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You want more faith? Then you want to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. You want to be sure you're following Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life from me will find it. You want to follow Jesus. How do I follow Jesus, you ask? Let me suggest four dynamic qualities, actionable qualities of a genuine disciple of Jesus. Let's start with prayer. Let's be people of the word. Let's be people of worship. Let's be people of witness. You thought I was taking a break from the series today, didn't you, for a second there? This is the message that God is putting on this fellowship right now. To become people who are characterized by these four and three more. To be people who are characterized by these qualities. 
people of prayer, people of the word, people of worship, and people of witness. And God has been faithful in pouring out his Holy Spirit on us in such a way that we have been called to this. And uh, this is really what you're looking for if you want to build your faith, if you want to have more faith. If you are living in fear, then your eyes are simply in the wrong place. You're looking at the wrong thing. You are looking at Satan, or you're looking at yourself, but you're not following Jesus. These are primarily faith-building dynamics here in the life of the authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you, in just a minute, one more way to build your faith, and then we're, which we're actually going to do this morning. But the central message of Christmas is that we no longer have to be afraid of anything. Do you believe that? Are you sure? Do you at least want to believe that? You no longer have to be afraid of anything. So that if you are living in fear, if you are letting the happenings of our planet drive you into fear, you're missing Christmas. You're missing Christmas. Because the central message of Christmas is that we no longer have to be afraid of anything. As an authentic Christian, you have absolutely nothing to fear, and so your best weapon against the fear-mongering of Satan is to stand up and to speak your faith. To loosen your lips. To declare the truth. If you are not an authentic Christian today, then you should be afraid. You should be very much afraid. Jesus said, do not be afraid of the one who can kill the body. But he said, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's Jesus. That's not buddy Jesus. That's Bible Jesus. And so if you are not following Jesus Christ today, you should be afraid. But the least of your worries are radicalized lone wolf terrorists. That's the very least of your worries. If you have not yet come to the place of surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, or if you have wandered away from a dynamic relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then that is your, that is your next act That is your next act. And I believe that the Lord's inviting you. He's inviting you into relationship with himself. Dennis and Sally, can you help me? Dennis and Sally are going to be standing over by that door. And as we continue with whatever else the Lord has in mind today, if you're a person who says, today, today, I am ready to come to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of my life, I'm going to ask you to do a very courageous thing, and that is to stand up and move from wherever you are over to wherever they are, and they will know what to do next. They will help you come into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That is your first act. But for those of you who already know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, I want to give you one more way to increase your faith, and that is to boldly declare the faith that you already have. Boldly declare the faith 
that you already have. By declaring your faith, your faith increases. By giving away your faith as quickly as you can, your faith increases. I know this is counterintuitive, but it's just like Jesus, isn't it? The the faster you can give away your faith, the more you will receive. And so what I'm going to invite you to do, church, is to declare your faith. Declare your faith from the deepest part of your heart. And in declaring your faith and joining in to a, a corporate gathering of a declaration of the truth, the Holy Spirit will come and He will increase your faith. As you increase your faith, you will overcome your fear and you will increase the quality of your experience with God. What part of this sounds bad? When David stood before Goliath, he had every reason to be afraid, yes? Yes or no, church? When David stood before Goliath, he had every reason to be afraid. And what did he say to Goliath? He said, Goliath... You come against me with sword and javelin and spear. He said, but I come against you in the name of the living God whose armies you defy. And today, I'm going to cut off your head and I'm going to feed your carcass to the birds of the air. And that's a declaration of faith and that's what he did on your feet, church. Declare it. Declare it.